I'm glad you're here today. Now, if you haven't noticed, I'm not Rich. I'm Justin, and Rich is visiting Anthony and Irene and the kids in Italy. So they're in Italy. So that's cool. So they're doing that. So we're happy they're able to have that opportunity. So today you're with me, and I'm going to share with you a lesson called A Hard Teaching. Oof, from John chapter 6, verses 51 through 59. So you can open up to that right now and just uh, be ready. And it's not this kind of hard teaching. So it's not quite like that. Some of you can appreciate that, that kind of teaching, but no, it's not, it's not that kind of hard teaching. It's, it's a difficult teaching because that's what the people said when Jesus was done teaching it in verse 60. They said, oh, Jesus, this is a hard teaching. And a kind of a funny story, Mike, our tech, our tech expert here, the reason we can do a lot of things on YouTube and we have a great system in place with the team. So Mike sent me a message this week and he said, what, you know, what's the title of the message? And I said, hey, and he said, how you doing? What's the title? I said, hey, Mike, doing good. Yeah, it's a hard teaching, quote unquote, hard teaching. That's the title. And he said, you can do it. I have faith in you. <laughs> so it's like, laugh out loud. That is the title. But thanks for the pep talk. So, but anyway, so I do want to, let's just read the passage first. And you'll, and you'll kind of see why, I think, right away. So chapter 6, verse 51. Jesus is talking. This is a continuation from last week. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Okay, so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... We live in a country where we can open your word and freely teach it and learn about it and sing to you with, without fear, Lord. And we do lift up those other places that cannot do that. We, we do pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, that you give them strength to uh, follow you and stand up under that persecution that they're facing. And I pray now as we study your word that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit what we should take away from today. I pray we would not be like the Pharisees who get all confused and 
uh, and struggle and strive to understand and they want to argue, Lord, help us to receive uh, your word today and the message you have for each of us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, what is God like? What is God like? What are some things about God that you know he's all, he's all loving? What's he like? Just. Yeah. So, God is a lot of things, and it's very hard to explain God sometimes to, to people. So throughout John, the book of John, John has tried to explain who God is in a variety of ways to a people who are living on a strictly horizontal plane. So he's trying to explain God is spirit, he's truth, he's love, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's all these things. How do you explain that to somebody who's living on a horizontal plane? It would be kind of like us. We're three-dimensional, and, and with time, we live in a four-dimensional reality. It would be like us trying to explain to someone on a computer monitor, like a two-dimensional figure on a computer screen, it would be like us trying to explain what life is like on our, in our world to a computer screen person, stick figure. It would be really challenging. So one of the things that John ha has, does throughout the book is he has these seven statements. They're the I am statements. And this, you know, if you look at Exodus 3.14, when Moses asked God in the burning bush, who should I tell him sent me? He said, tell him I am. I am sent you. So John sort of goes into this idea of who, what Jesus, what he's like, who is God. And he has seven statements. He says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door to the sheepfold. I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he also says, I am the, or he says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, I am the vine. Now, does this mean that Jesus is literally a plant or literally a loaf of bread or a physical gate? No. There's some aspect of God that John is trying to get us to understand. So, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a song that they were singing in children's ministry, and my daughter Genevieve, who's three, heard this song, and in the song there's a lyric about standing on the rock. So Genevieve came home and she said, Dad, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to stand on the rock. That's dangerous. I'm not going to do that. So, we know with children, they get confused with figurative language. You, you all know about Amelia Bedelia, right? She's, right, it's a children's book. This is why they write these books, because kids can get confused. If we take certain things said, certain concepts of God, and we take them literally, it can get us into trouble. So what was Jesus saying about these claims? He was trying to say, like, I'm the bread, right? I'm the living water. He fills the needs that we have in a, in a variety of ways. So that's what he's saying. He is the necessary elements to sustain life. That's what he's saying. Uh, take, for example, being born again. John 3, Jesus was talking to a Pharisee about being born again. And the Pharisee was... Really, see, we, when we get older, you know, we, ha we have trouble with these things. Our faith, we have, you know, doubts. So it's a spiritual concept, being born again... So Jesus is using a physical metaphor to try to make us understand. And, and um, 
Nicodemus is a little bit confused. How can someone go back into their mother's womb? He didn't get it. So, these statements are a challenge, especially for people who are cynical, doubtful, skeptical, and educated. It takes faith to believe these spiritual concepts. As we learned in John, we should worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so God is a spirit. And so there's an element of this that doesn't make sense on the literal horizontal plane. As one person said, a parachute doesn't open until you jump out of the plane. Right? It won't open until you jump. So there's an element of faith. Take the, take the leap. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.14 talks about the mind of the spirit versus the, the mind of the flesh, the carnal mind. So the man, it says, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, in order to discern or understand them, you have to have the Spirit of God. The Pharisees and the people in Jesus' audience at this time did not have the Spirit of God, so they were confused. So a review from, from last week, Jesus, the context here, Jesus is talking about how he's the bread of life. So that's the context. So he said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. People start complaining, murmuring. They're doubting who Jesus is. And we can do that, right? It steals our joy when we complain, when we murmur. And we should submit to what Jesus said. Don't be like the murmurers. So that was last week's lesson. So we already know the, the setting here that Jesus is talking to these religious leaders and the thing, things are about to escalate. They're about to get uh, really interesting so verse 51, again, let's, let's read that and talk about that verse. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. So this first statement, I think, for me, I, I think with the Spirit of God and with our understanding of the cross... This makes sense. What is he saying? He's saying, I, my flesh that I give for the life of the... What's he talking about? Okay, he's, he's talking about his sacrificial death. He's giving his life. Now, John, um, the Baptist, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So Jesus and his sacrificial death fulfills the forms that were in the Old Testament dealing with the Passover lamb. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. Now, is he a physical lamb? No, in a, in a concept, in a spiritual way, he is the lamb of God. He, he takes away the sins of the world. So that's what he's saying. So at this point, this makes sense to me. I can sort of, I can understand that. I can, I can get that. He's been talking about the bread of life metaphor. He's been talking about bread from heaven, living bread, you know this metaphor? So it doesn't surprise me that he makes the metaphor stronger and extends it to his sacrifice on the cross. But his audience didn't have the luxury of hindsight. So they were confused. They did not realize Jesus was going to die. He said it a few times throughout the Gospels, but they didn't get it. Even his closest disciples didn't get it. And you remember Peter was rebuked strongly for trying to correct Jesus about going to the cross. And what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. So they didn't really understand that. So we have that luxury. 
So to me, on the surface level, it makes total sense uh, at this point. They also confused in John 2, 19, when Jesus was talking about destroying the temple. The Pharisees took this literally. So he says in John 2, 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So here's the Jews. They reply, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So they misunderstood the mission of the Messiah was to come and die. They thought he was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire and set up his kingdom on earth. So this idea of the sacrifice and, and death was there. But the Pharisees um, were contentious. And how many of you like meetings at work? <laughs> That's funny, nobody. Was that a hand back there, Aiden? No. Shaking his head. So we don't like meetings, but okay, so at meetings at my school, we have certain, like, we call them norms, okay? So there's certain things you're supposed to do. And one of the rules is expect good intentions. So in other words, when someone's talking, you know, they get a sentence out of their mouth, and, and what, what do people want to do? They want to, like, jump all over them. They want to argue, okay? So these Pharisees were, like, the polar opposite of that. They're totally not ex expecting good intentions. They are looking for any way to pick apart Jesus' words. They hate him. They want to destroy him. They want to, cru they, well, they eventually crucify him. Um, that was their intent. But Jesus, as we looked in the verse, he gives his life. He gave his life for the world. They didn't take it from him. He gave it for the life of the world. So his sacrifice paid the price for the sins of, of of the world, if we receive that, as we'll see, that's how we experience eternal life. They, they weren't expecting good intentions. They were looking to bring him down. They, didn't, they hated him. They were jealous. They were looking for a way to purposefully twist his words, and, and that's what they do, some kind of bizarre cannibalism, as we'll see. So they... Verse 42, uh, 52, look what, they, look, what, look what they do. It says, The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So we just discussed that it was, the context is his sacrifice. They twisted around to some kind of like cannibalism. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? But there's a contention. So it wasn't all of them. And so they're, they're striving among themselves, trying to understand. And, you know, Jesus' words do sometimes bring division. And that's just a, that's a reality. They could have been thinking um, about Leviticus. The Levitical law said that the life, uh, the, the life of the animal was in the blood. And that they weren't supposed to eat the blood or drink blood of animals. So they might be thinking, like, you know, what's he, you know he's challenging our laws and our, you know, our way of life. But it's interesting because this connection makes sense because the, the life is in the blood and Jesus shed his blood, his life, as a substitute for us. So you can kind of see that connection, but they weren't getting it. 
And it, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 1.18. You know, so this idea of sacrifice, the cross. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. So Jesus here, the context, he's talking about the cross. But they're looking for any way to discredit him. They think it's what he's saying is foolish. They think he's talking about cannibalism. So let's go on. So, so Jesus doesn't back up. Look at verse 53 through 55. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So what in the world does Jesus really mean here? Was he actually saying, take a big bite out of his arm? You know, right here, your battery's dead. <laughs> it's a walkie-talkie. So was he saying, take a bite? Was he promoting cannibalism? Well, when you come to something in the Bible, uh, uh, Chuck Smith used to say this, very good rule of thumb. When you come to something in the Bible you don't understand, go back to what you do understand. Okay, so we do understand you shouldn't murder. At that point, you shouldn't eat, you know, blood. Okay, and as we look back, we see there's no account of the disciples actually eating Jesus in a physical sense. So there must be an explanation. So there's two things to consider when we think about this interpretation. One is his audience, and one, one is the context. So who was the audience? Well, if we jump ahead to verse 59, um, as we read, he was in the synagogue in Capernaum. So his audience is, you know, Jewish people. Um, also, his audience at this point is challenging him. So his claims of being the bread of heaven, coming down from heaven, which was a, a claim of his deity, they were being challenged. Uh, verse 42, they did not believe that he came from heaven, and that's why they were murmuring. They doubted and discredited him. Because they said, well, you're just, you know, Mary and Joseph's son. You're just that carpenter guy. What do you know? So Jesus responds by getting bolder. They're challenging him. So he, in a way, challenges his audience back. As one commentator said, such radical statements offend many. In part, this is Jesus' intent. In response to those who twisted his words and meaning, he made the metaphor stronger, not weaker. He refused to back down from the truth. I am the bread of life. And the substance of that bread is his sacrifice on the cross and giving of his flesh and blood. What he gave at the cross, we must receive. So he's going head to head with the religious leaders who are entrenched in their pride. So he's basically saying to them, your shallow religious activities, you know, your trust in your forefathers, how they ate the manna. You know, you, you think you're something because you're relying on your strict adherence to laws, most of which they invented, a lot of them. Um, and so he's kind of tearing apart their, this idea that they, they took the forms and the shadows of things and they made that the essence. They made that what it was about. Um, other passages, he says, they're brood, a brood of vipers. Whitewashed tombs. On the outside, everything looks good, but on the inside is dead men's bones. Okay? So the sacraments, the forms, all these things, they can't make you right with God. And it reminds me of 2 Timothy 3.5. They had a form of godliness, 
but they denied the power. The, the spirit of God is what is going to change us, change them. Also, if you consider his audience, okay, so the, in, in Jewish language, the idea of eating and drinking uh, could also refer to taking in a teacher's words and making them a part of you. We might say something like, oh, they've taken it to heart. You know, they're really listening. Um, Isaiah chapter 55, you can, if you want to turn there, this is a good one to mark in your Bible. I really like this. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. So again, in thinking of the context, you know, he's inviting people to you know, receive the bread from heaven. And so this is a good connection. Isaiah 55, 1 through 3 says, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. So you see the connection between listening and eating. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. So we see this connection between listening and eating, receiving, you know, taking it in, making it part of you. So that's really good. I, I like that. So turn back to John 6. So we think of his audience. So he's really challenging his, the religious audience there. Let's look next at the context. So verse 63, I know this is part of um, the next lesson, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but look at six, chapter 6, verse 63. Jesus says, The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. So you kind of look at that context. What, what is Jesus saying? Well, it's a reference, a, a spiritual context here. Look at verse 40. He says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up in the last day. Verse 45, Everyone who listens to the Father and learns and comes to me. Verse 47, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. And then finally, verse 64, yet there he says in a, in a challenge when they say, Oh, this is too hard, we can't, we, we can't accept this, and they went away. He said, yet there are some of you who do not believe. So there's a connection between eating his flesh and blood is a connection, a spiritual concept of receiving, believing, partaking of the truth of the cross and that sacrifice. Okay, So 2 Peter 1.4 says it this way, that we're partakers of his divine nature. So he's, he's we appropriate, there's a big Bible word for you, we appropriate th these truths. We make it a part of us. So if we eat and we drink, we have life. So why so graphic, though? Why, why does he, you, like that word, you know, flesh, it's like raw. It's, you know, drink his blood. It's, very, it's a very graphic, gruesome concept. And that's why they struggled with it. Well, if you think about his death, Right? It was no picnic. Very graphic, very raw, very severe. You know, his back was torn open. 
He was slapped, spit upon a crown of thorns. Very raw. He, he held nothing back. His, he gave his flesh and blood for the world. He held nothing back. The, the pain and the physical agony of that, as well as that separation from his father, was so great that it was in totality. So in a way, I think he's showing how severe it is to receive him and follow him. He gave everything. We should give everything in accepting him and serving him. To be a disciple, he says, take up your cross and follow me. So in a similar way, we, we give our lives. He gave his life. So he says in verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. So this metaphor speaks of intimacy. So this intimate connection, a relationship. Now John, uh, later in chapter 15, we'll get there in a while, he says, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it in, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And he goes on to say, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So this idea of abiding in God's word and his word abiding in us. So Jesus is, in John chapter 1, the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, The word, became, the word was God. The word was with God. So we, we know this. So by eating, by eating him, the word, taking the word in us, we're, we're appropriating these truths. Okay, so what about this idea of eating? What is, what is eating? What is that? Okay, so here's a picture of some things you should eat, I guess. Why, why should we eat? We need certain things in the food, certain chemicals that our bodies break down and make a part of our bodies. They become part of us. You are what you eat, right? Frowning at me. So, seven nutrients. The one I always forget is water. That's a nutrient. Um, protein, uh, vitamins, minerals, and some others that I'm forgetting. Okay, so why do we eat? We break these nutrients down. Okay, you can't stare at a loaf of bread to have it become part of you. You can't, you know, admire the food on a plate. You have to eat it. If we don't eat it, we won't, we won't live. We'll, we'll die. Okay, so in a way, that's what we need to do. We need to consume who Jesus is, his person, his, the very essence of him in, in a spiritual sense. There's also a negative context, right? If you eat the wrong things, it can be very dangerous. It can be poisonous. You know, Mr. Yuck, right? So we, often, we have to be careful what we eat. And I think there's a... a an application here for listening to warnings. Don't, don't eat this. Don't eat that. On the news, we might see, oh, look out for E. coli. Don't eat that thing, that lettuce. So as Spurgeon points out, he says, every man feeds on something or other. You see one man getting a Sunday paper, how he will feed on that, the news, right? Another goes to frivolous amusements and he feeds on them. Another man feeds upon his business and upon the thought of his many cares. But all this, that is poor food. It is only ashes and husks. 
If you did but possess true spiritual life, you would know the deep necessity there is of feeding upon Christ. Okay, so this idea of feeding on him. Now, I would be a poor teacher if I didn't bring up the issue that some have used for this passage just to say that this is the prescription for communion. So, was Jesus talking about communion, receiving his body, receiving his blood? Uh, in the reference that communion is to his sacrificial death, I think yes, in concept. But in giving us a protocol for rules, I think, I think no. And I'll give you a bunch of reasons why I think that, and you can kind of look at it yourself and study yourself. Now, verse 54, Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. So right off the bat, he's saying this is something you need to do in order to get eternal life. So that's why I don't think it's related to communion, because it's not consistent with the message of the gospel. The gospel says that you need to believe. It does not say that you need to receive communion. In some churches and circles, that, that is one of the things. They believe you need to take communion to be saved. Well, I don't think that's consistent with Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. So there's no work that we can do to be right with God. Otherwise, the Pharisees would be right in thinking these religious forms were a way to get righteousness with God. And, that, and we know that from Scripture. That's not the case. Uh, Galatians 1.6 even talks about if someone preaches another gospel except the one you know, he should be accursed. If they preach a different gospel besides grace and faith. So that's why I don't believe it's uh, communion. One reason. Um, another reason is think about the religious rites. We call it a sacrament or a religious rite or a ritual. Okay, We know those to be outward expressions of an inward reality. The outward expression doesn't make us right. It's an indication of something that's right already inside of us. So the sacrament of communion is an outward demonstration of the fact that we've received Christ. We believe. Okay, It's much like baptism. It's important. We should do it. We should approach it you know, reverently, but it's not required for salvation. Otherwise, the thief on the cross, whom Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise, would not be saved because he didn't take communion or get baptized. And other, other accounts too, children, other people. Uh, so it's not consistent. The message of John, so, so next we look at context. Okay, what's the context? Well, we already talked about believe, that word, throughout the passage. Uh, John 20, verse 31, sort of gives the, the whole idea of why John wrote his letter. Uh, wrote the gospel, says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So again, it's tied to the concept of believing. So the Lord's message in the gospels of John are filled with symbolism and imagery. So to take them literally at this point uh, would be to make the same mistake as those who first heard and that's from Warren, Warren Wearsby. The other reason I don't think it's about communion is look at the audience. Jesus is talking with a group of contentious Jewish people. Why would he be giving the prescription for communion 
with people that aren't listening. He gave, the Lord's Supper was done in an intimate group of disciples around the, the Passover feast, okay? And he was a little more clear and kind of spelled it out. So why would he be doing this here? Casting his pearls before swine. I don't, I don't think he would. So think of the audience there. Um, he would have wanted us to understand what he was saying clearly. So those are some reasons. Also, you look at the language of the Lord's Supper. I do want to take a look at that. Uh, Luke chapter 22 is Jesus in the Passover feast. 22:19. Okay, this is the idea of communion, the sacrament of communion. It says, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So the word remembrance or recalling or thinking back to a once and for all sacrifice. So rem remembering. Jesus isn't continually being sacrificed, which is what some believe um, this is, a, this is a evidence of. Uh, Jesus on the cross said it is finished. So it's a once and for all sacrifice. The Greek verb tense in this passage indicates a once and for all action. And I really like the book of Hebrews. Hebrews talks a lot, addresses a lot of these kind of you know, Jesus fulfilling these forms or shadows of, of, of the reality. So Jesus is the reality of all these forms and religious kind of rites and uh, things like that. So Hebrews 10, 10 through 14 says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, so this was in the past, day after day the priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So he's talking about the Old Testament sacrifice. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, the high priest, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So once and for all. So some circles believe in this idea that the body and blood, the, the, the Eucharist, the sacraments, actually become the body and blood of Jesus. And this is the text they use to say that. So... The evidence there, just from studying, and you can study it yourself, I don't believe that it's saying that. Okay, so I wanted to go through that because I, I know that's something you might encounter. Now, finally, on this topic, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, Paul talks about communion. And he uses another word, so that word remembrance. So we're remembering back also 11, 20, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. Paul says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You don't reenact it, you proclaim it. Uh, the word is katagilo, and it's used ten times in the Bible to mean preach. So we're testifying of the death. We're not recreating it, we're testifying. So it's a proclamation, okay? So I, I did want to go over that um, a little bit, just so you, you might encounter that. So anyway... So those are the reasons I don't, I don't believe that it's transubstantiation or related to communion in its protocol. Yes, referring to the Passover lamb. Yes, the sacrifice, which isn't in what communion is remembering and proclaiming. So in that way, it's a connection, but easy to get confused. Uh, verse 57 through 59. Just as the living Father... So we're back in John, chapter 6, verse 57, 59. Just as the living Father sent me, 
and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue of Capernaum. So, so again, he's, he's addressing you know, this idea of the physical bread, the manna. That's what they were relying upon. That's what they were sort of trusting in this, their religious upbringing, their pedigree, um, following the laws. So, this is meant to be severe because what's at stake? Eternal life. Your eternal life. My eternal life. We're, our eternal life is at stake, if, and especially if you have not received, if you have not eaten and drank of Jesus, who he is. So it's severe because there's a lot at stake. So, in a spiritual sense, we should take him and consume every part of him. So this is a hard teaching in the sense that it's hard to surrender our will, to repent. It's hard to give up our accomplishments and the things we trust in. And that's what he was challenging the Jews to do. Our legalism, perhaps. Okay, their doubts about Jesus' method for salvation. You have to give that up. And so it's a hard teaching in, in that our flesh, our will, doesn't want doesn't to surrender. But Jesus says uh, in Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. So we can have fellowship, intimacy uh, with Christ. It's an all or nothing. It's all in. He went all in for you. He gave his blood. He gave his life. He suffered greatly. So you can be all in for, for him. That's the only way. If you feel far away, I believe this speaks to that intimacy we can, we can have with him. Um, and you can have an opportunity to respond if you've never done that before. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is a, this is a hard teaching, but I, I think, Lord, if we look at your word and the context and the things you're saying, that it makes sense that you're saying to receive you and all that you are. Lord, I just pray for my friends here today that you would help them to receive you in reality, in totality, um, in their lives, that they could know that fellowship that, that is with you, that abiding fellowship in you. Uh, so, Lord, uh, just pray you'd open our hearts, open our minds, uh, just to receive your word and your truth. Um, if you're here today and you've never done that, you can simply ask, say, Lord, come into my life. I, I consume you. I eat you. I receive you. I receive all that you are. Uh, forgive me. I repent of my sins, and I want to know you and be with you and have eternal life. And so you can do that today. So we just uh, thank you for the Sunday. Help us to go from here and tell others the good news about who you are. Again, we lift up the Franklin Graham event. Lord, stir up revival in us that we would be unashamed to share the good news with others and that you would just stir up hearts to go to the event, uh, that you would show us who we can invite to the event uh, and that you would change people's lives as they uh, receive you, Lord. Only you can do that. Uh, so just bless our day, Lord. Go before us and 
Uh, give us good good time of fellowship with our families, friends, and with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.